a Highline podcast. Hey, everybody. Before the episode, I just want to let you know about something we're doing for one of our patrons, Reverend Courtney Clark. You might remember her name from the episode 75, The Problems We Have with Suffering, which came from her question. One of the reasons this is an issue she's always thinking about is because she suffers from nutcracker syndrome due to extreme vascular compression. If you're curious about her story so far, you can read about it in the GoFundMe we're sponsoring for her through June. Link is in the show notes. We're hoping to get her just an extra $1,000 as she potentially takes off the next six months to recover from surgeries and hopefully get a couple date nights in too. We are giving all of our Patreon donations from May and June to her, which will include any new patrons who sign up during those months. We would be thrilled if you could be a part of this with us, whether you sign up through Patreon, give directly to the GoFundMe, or just share about this rare illness. Again, link is in the show notes. Here's the episode. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers. But we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Welcome, my friends. Good to hear from you again. Hello, hello, hello. What are you guys drinking? Are you guys drinking any tasty drinks this week? I am. I have from... What are you drinking, Stephen? Hopworks urban brewery it's the stoner fruit apricot sour Ooh. and i have a full pint of it and man is it hitting the spot it's just sweet enough but like that stone fruit like the apricotness to it uh-huh it's very complex it's very fun i like it a well, lot i love how we describe beverages oh yeah it's very entertaining yeah like we just have such good words to describe beverages like robust. Well, some or... of us were professionally trained in beverage. So, okay. Some of us were not. So, you know. <laughs> you were trained in the Lord's beverage. Yeah, you have the MDiv and we'll <laughs> we'll talk about I'm gonna drinks. Throw, I'm going to throw out some fancy adjectives to describe my beverage. Uh so I have a cool, calming, refreshing <laughs> Just yeah, whatever. Sweetie. No, I made. I made. No, I made a London fog. Um, oh, nice! It's my favorite thing to make when I have all the ingredients for it, and so it is. It is very calming, though. Um, it's very overcast here in Cody today, and I was kind of vibing with the whole overcasty uh, feeling, and so a London fog was a perfect drink for me to make, um, dude. And I yeah. added a little bit of honey Ugh. to add a little bit of a little bit of a zinger. Yeah. So for real, though, London fogs hit the spot when it's overcast. Like there's something to that. There's magic. I swear. Maybe that's why it's called the London fog. I don't know. I yeah. think that's exactly why it's called. Um, the I'm fog. drinking a Trader Joe's blueberry lemonade sparkling water. It's not a lemonade. Ooh. It is a blueberry lemonade sparkling water. Curious. That's fun. It's pretty good. It's a, I think Trader Joe's is the only other sparkling water besides LaCroix that I'm like 100% yes and not like, mm. I will if it's the only thing. Yeah, that's fair. 
I've never That's lived fair. in a place that had a Trader Joe's. Oh, you're missing out. I hadn't either until a couple years ago. Yeah. I, I dig it. Congrats. Thank you. I have Albertsons. So take that. Meh. 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 She says. <laughs> Meh. Speaking of groceries, though. No. Oh. Oh. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Josh, for that. You're welcome. Ham fisted <laughs> segue. Uh, we have a topic coming to us from the patron community this week. No voice memo to share this time because it was kind of last minute. And mostly that's my fault of not paying attention to our release calendar. But uh, this thought comes to us from Danelle, who I believe we've heard of before when we, uh, or heard from before when we did the mental health episode back in January. But her and her husband have been talking about the fruits and gifts of the spirit. His church taught that you had to receive the gift of tongues in order to be confirmed as a Christian, as they say. But she uh, says that she grew up believing and still believes that we all get gifts and fruits of the spirit, but it doesn't have to be a specific one in order to like, I don't know, seal us as a Christian or make that something explicit. So that's what we're on today. The fruits and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The groceries of the Holy Spirit. The groceries of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. A good the variety. Groceries of the Holy Spirit. Make sure you buy Spirit. organic. Yep. Found in aisle three, in case you're wondering. That's funny. Emily, you've mentioned a few times in the past that the Methodist Church doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. So how... And they still don't. Well, so how do you think of like the gifts of the Spirit in... Like fruits of the spirit, because like Josh has some background in some charismatic circles, so I'm, there's some experience there that we'll be able to draw on. But I'm curious to know how you've come to think of it, given that your denomination doesn't build an an enormous foundation on the spirit. Well, I think first off, I would like to add that although we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough, in my opinion. Um, I do think one of the things in regards to the Holy Spirit that we do love to talk about is the fruits of the Spirit. And I think oftentimes we talk about the fruits of the Spirit because we come to know those as a way of being rather than just things that we come by. Like we actually live into love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and like self-control. Like we live into being those things and not just having those things, which I really like. I like that we have a very forward-driven idea of what the fruits of the Spirit are for and how we can become those things and share those things rather than just kind of acquiring them and holding on to them. I like that. Because we're a very action-driven denomination, I think. And that's why I think when we do talk about the Holy Spirit, it is very much a verb. Like it's a way of being, it's a way of living and acting in the world. And I think that is what drives the Methodist church into all the areas of mission that it's involved with, whether it's UMCOR, whether it's, you know, general board of uh, church and society or a general board for women or whatever the case may be. Like we find ourselves in these positions where we're called to being and to action. And so we have the fruits of the spirit to guide us and to fuel us to do the works that we're called to be and to do. So I don't really know if that answers entirely your question, but that's my answer. (laughs) I like that. I really appreciate the framing of like 
we are doing the work, not in a salvific way, mind you. It's not like we're working our, for our salvation, as I used to love to mm-hmm. point out, but we're working toward living out the fruits of the Spirit and not just like collecting yeah. them as like our Pokemon badges, right? At the latest gym. Yeah, exactly. Like we're <laughs> we're not all Girl Scouts. Like we don't need an honor badge to show that we have, you know what I mean? It's we, sure. we do more with it because if we gather all these things, if we have love and joy and peace and patience, but we don't do anything with them, then we're essentially letting those fruits die and they're yeah. lifeless and then there's no purpose to have it. So you might as well do something with them. So love people, be joyful, show peace, have patience, you know? Yeah. So we do have the distinction of like the nine fruits of the spirit that Paul lays out in Galatians six. And that's what you're drawing on. I feel like most Christians, when they say gifts of the spirit, they have other things in mind. Um, whether that be, yeah, I was just going to say, I think we should draw that distinction. Like those are usually separate lists. Yeah, totally. Like speaking in tongues or even like pastoral skills or administration that was the the favorite one to like dunk on when i was young it was like oh all these cool <laughs> ones like prophecy and speaking in tongues and you have the gift of administration <laughs> that's funny or uh we mentioned a couple episodes ago i think it was on the theophobia about the fear of god episode where like there's this oh, yeah. other list of spiritual gifts in isaiah that does include fear of god right I think that the this fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I think that the rhetoric around fruit of the spirit and gifts of the spirit is really interesting. Like in my experience, a church tends to only focus on one of them. And I think it's really interesting because it's like one of the they're like the only examples of a typology that's given in the biblical text besides like the 10 commandments or the law almost. Like I almost feel like Paul is trying <laughs> to make the argument that like things are summed up in like these virtues or actually one thing that I've been kind of curious about that I've never really heard anyone talk about is like what correlation is there between the fruits of the spirit and like some of the Roman virtues. I'm sure there's quite a few, Mm -hmm. but like Romans often talked about like philosophical ideas in terms of virtue and like ideals to be strived for. Especially since the, the Stoics were like contemporaries of Jesus in the, like the first group of apostles. Right. And so maybe that's one of the reasons that Paul like lists it out so typologically Hmm. offering like a Christian alternative almost. (laughs) Yeah. These are the virtues you want. Makes sense. These are the virtues that Christians live by. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel so I feel like the like Emily, I think what you're getting at is like that virtue side of things like the fruits of the spirit. Like these are the things we strive for versus like the gifts of the spirit, I think, are like a lot more hotly contentious in the Christian world because of their supernatural nature. Yeah. Question mark. But like, it also depends on which ones you're talking about. Like, I think that like you're more likely to have like a contentious view about the gifts of the spirit than you are the fruit of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Like everyone can get on board with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control, even if self-control is just not masturbating. But like everybody likes those. But when you get into topics like, speaking in tongues or whatever it's yeah it can get it can get dicey because it's open to interpretation and that's the one that like danelle's husband was taught to think of like oh no you have to be baptized in the spirit and you have to speak in tongues in order to really know that you're a christian were you ever taught that before i was not i so like i with my baptist calvinist reformed upbringing 
I was basically taught that Christians like that existed and that they were so wrong. And here's the reasons why, because we Calvinists are good secessionists that don't believe in the gifts of mm. the spirit anymore. And that they were only for like the first generation of Christians to really spread the gospel in the first century. And then it became less important to have those gifts. My question is why? Why they went away. I know. Like that's one of those things. Wait, are you saying why did they not believe in them or why? What? what yeah. What? Why are you saying? Yeah, why, like, why did they become less important as time went on? Why would they on? need to cease? Yeah. Like, what was it that they... Well, because we got Google Translate. We're fine now. <laughs> yeah, they were for a certain place in time, which, like, I don't know. Like, I can almost... like It's spiritual technology. Yeah, yeah. Like, they were necessary for the boom of the church. Right. That's kind of the angle I've heard. Yep. Can confirm. Which, like, I will admit sounds very reasonable compared to, like... Some of the other things some Christians say, like, for instance, like the have you ever heard someone talk about like a prayer language and that like you need to be given a prayer language and Mm. you need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? Like, where is that in the Bible? Nowhere. Like, (laughs) like, don't try to tell me that's in there. You know what I mean? Like, so I can kind of appreciate that one verse that Paul is like, though we speak in tongues of angels. Yeah, but like even then, it's like such a huge jump to like, <laughs> like totally. make all of these like qualifications and dogma. Yeah, I see where Josh is going with this. Um, yeah, I have a question for you guys. I've been like ruminating on this recently. Yeah, have you guys ever heard of the documentaries called Finger of God? I have not. No, that okay. sounds okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when I went to ministry school in Michigan. This is what catalyzed me wanting to go. And I'm realizing that not only was this kind of restricted to the charismatic world, but even then it was still pretty niche, I think, because the filmmaker who made this trilogy grew up in the church that started the ministry school. And like they kind of started it because of these movies coming out, like even though they were kind of basing themselves off of like Bethel and IHOP and like this kind of like semi-collegiate experience for like yeah. everyday ministry. Sure. So it was like very geared around the idea of ministry in everyday life and like demonstrating the gifts and the fruits of the spirit that God would be demonstrated and therefore people would convert. Hmm. So these finger of God documentaries are like, uh, uh, I almost think, <laughs> I almost think we should do a bonus episode where like I show these to you guys and you just react in real time because you are going to think like, what the f- is going on in this? <laughs> okay, okay. Um, because I think that's it's a like, splendid idea. It's it's um it's given with this air of skepticism, but it's like, like looking back on it, I'm like, oh, this guy's like not that skeptical at all. He's like going around following charismatic circles and like signs and wonders that he's hearing about, and like trying to film it and like trying to legitimize it and like quote unquote investigate like if it's real. There's like this one scene where he quote unquote is filming Jesus walking through a crowd and he's like huh. he's like showing the footage and I even remember thinking at the time like I don't see anything <laughs> like you're not showing anything in that shot I feel like you shouldn't have included that because that didn't show Jesus that just showed like people moving I don't know um, but anyway it includes everything from like gold dust appearing to mana appearing to gemstones appearing wow um like all of this stuff that like classic on film seems really convincing and is also i would argue very outside of the concepts of the fruits and the gifts of the spirit even though i think mm. a lot of charismatic circles tend to lean on those passages as 
the bedrock for like these supernatural events. Yeah. Man, the huh. gold dust, angel dust thing. Yeah. My youth group was obsessed with it in the sense of like. Against it? Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was the, the butt of many jokes for about a year there when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. No joke. Yeah. I, I bet. That's funny. Hmm. So. Yeah. I was like on the other end of that spectrum in high school. Right. So, um, so what's, oh, you, you go ahead, Stephen. I want to hear what you think about this. I have always found the gifts of the spirit territory very nebulous, I guess. Like I, mm. I think you're, you're pointing appropriately to like, where are you getting this out of the Bible? Because I also think that it's odd, at least that people who are about the gold dust and etc i guess i i don't need to list them but like it's also odd to me that their attitudes towards scripture can tend to be very inerrantist and like very literal mm. and mm. the what feels like an extreme cognitive dissonance of like angel dust show that to me in the bible find me a proof text for that like yeah it was always so weird to me to like encounter these videos or people talking about it and i was just like a, I don't know where it's coming from, but B, like, I have never been convinced why they matter, I guess. So what what's interesting is, like, the proof text that I've heard for that is <laughs> the phrase, which is not a proof text, but uh, sometimes a sign will make you wonder, and, like, it's only given just to, like, make oh, you wonder. I almost spit <laughs> out my beer. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I have heard people try to point to where Jesus says, like, you will do even greater things. Which is an interesting argument. And, mm. oh, what was your other question? You made me think of something else. Oh, um, I've also heard a lot. See, this is like one of those things that like, I feel like actually cemented in me really well is like, like testing the fruit of something. Like, yeah. I, think, I, I think a lot of people in charismatic circles have this. It's an interesting cognitive dissonance, I think, where they will preach that you should test something against the fruits of the spirit. And like, if it's not of the fruits of the spirit, then it's not of God. And so like we need to, or like sometimes there's like instances where we need to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Like not everything is going to be for you. Like if you're given a prophetic word, like some of it's probably going to stick cause it's coming from God, but like we are human interpreters. And so like test it out, like pray about it. If it doesn't stick, throw it away kind of thing. And I think that's really interesting because like when you put that up against some of these like more fringe, beliefs about God and the supernatural, like it doesn't appear to line up with the fruit of the spirit. Hmm. How, how so do you think? Like with the angel dust thing, for instance, it's hard to clearly state like this is an act of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control other than maybe like God is showing us a tangible sign that God is near or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you have to like really put a lot of interpretation into it. You know how biblical angels yeah. are just covered with eyes? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What if what if what if the angel dust is just a bunch of like eyelashes falling off the angels? <laughs> That's funny. Oh my gosh. Or like the eye goopies, you oh, know, like yeah. after you wake up, type. you have those eye boogers in the corner of your <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the kind Gross. of stuff we would make fun of. <laughs> it is. I think we should straight yes. up do this sometime. It is. Um so my question for you guys is like, do you think that 
using the fruits of the spirit as like a sort of spiritual gauge on people or the church or theology like it, do you think that that works uh cuz i think i still think it ooh. does i want to know what emily thinks josh and i have been talking a lot yeah um that i think that's a difficult question to answer because that would require everyone to be calibrated the same way Okay. I could argue that that list is what is serving to calibrate us. But I think people also define those things differently. Okay. I mean, we see we see people wrestling with that even in scripture like to love your neighbor. People mm. wrestle with the idea of who their neighbor is. So we can't sure. say that love is the thing we're calibrating to if we can't even agree what love is. <laughs> mm. And so now you're adding other things, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all those things like we every single person needs to be on the same page with what those things mean. And then, yes, you can totally use that to gauge the church or individuals. But until we all come to a unanimous understanding of what those things are, mm. that's hard. That's hard to answer. Mm. But maybe I think they should. But. I wonder if that's a tool made available and encouraged for communities, maybe over individuals, in the sense that like a community might end up forming a consensus around what they think those look like. I mean, I can see how they even a community could get it wrong, but I wonder if your hesitancy to claim it as just like a yeah, that's a good idea is is because it's meant to be done in community and by community and not necessarily an individual just approaching these list of virtues like Ben Franklin-esque, like I'm just going to define these for myself and keep a notebook to make sure I hit well, my virtues every but I week. Think, I think it's hard for a community to do it though if an individual doesn't even do it. So you do it together. You have to, yeah, they have to, they have to coexist. I can't ask my church to be all on board with something if as an individual they are struggling with it. Mm. Like, I think the two have to come together. Are you thinking of any examples off the top of your head in regards to someone having different definitions for those virtues? Maybe. I don't know if I have like a specific example, but just some of the ones that I think maybe as individuals people may struggle with um, that they maybe are able to make more sense of it as a community would be like self-control or faithfulness. I think those are ones that individually people may struggle with because we have these norms or these societal inputs of what self-control looks like or what faithfulness is supposed to look like. And if you don't fit those or you have a difficult time with fitting those particular yeah. outlines, then yeah, you it's harder mm -hmm. for them to be a part of a community that's trying to tell you what those are. So it's not as simple as like, you know how uh, Justice Brandeis was like, I don't, I couldn't define porn, but I know it when I see it. It's like, it's not mm -hmm. as simple as like, mm -hmm. I know the fruits of the spirit when I see the fruits of the spirit. Right. <laughs> but also like that idea is paired with Jesus saying like, you will know a tree by its fruit. Like, I feel like I heard a lot of people connecting that passage about the fruit of the spirit to Jesus talking about, you will know a tree by its fruit, which like, it's funny because like the only connection in that is like the fruit metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're not connected otherwise. Like they're not necessarily expounding on the other. 
But that's probably um, what Paul was doing intentionally, I would guess. If you were to expand, though, it's just because you can see it and you know it, you have to actually bite into it to know if it's good. Like, it can appear good on the outside, but if Ooh. on the inside, it's all yucky, right? So, like, we all know what a cherry blossom tree looks like, but we don't know that the inside of the tree maybe is rotten and it's slowly dying mm. from the inside out, you know? So, enter Jesus cursing a fig tree for advertising that it has fruits and it doesn't. You know, Uh see, so there's something there. But what I think is interesting is that like this concept of the fruit, like feels very prevalent, like even if like definitions are difficult or if communities disagree about like what's loving, what's not, or it feels more tangible. Yeah, it feels very tangible. Like, for instance, I feel like in a lot of the uh, protest rhetoric against police structure in the United States in the last year or so. Yeah. There's been a lot of Oh, bad uh, apples. Yeah, there's been a lot of like bad apples, mm. like no, the barrel's rotten, the tree's rotten, like people like running with this fruit imagery either direction. And I think it's because it's like it's very tangible. And I think it like really like in the same way that I think raveling adds a lot in like its tangibleness. Like I, I think that it's a very poignant metaphor that like gives a lot more meaning other than like, well, I think you're wrong. And I think it ties a lot because everyone experiences growth, whether you're a gardener, whether you are involved in agriculture or whether you're involved in whatever the case may be, growing people, even for that matter, like raising children. But like that society, like that world, the ancient world is predominantly going to be a people where they worked in fields they Mm. tended to crops they tended to things that grew i mean goodness we see you know pentecost we see all these festivals that are literally around times of harvest and times of reaping and times of sowing and and planting like Mm. it makes sense to use metaphors and languages around the idea of growth and fruit and and mm. things of that nature, because that's what they know. Like, <laughs> it mm. it makes sense. And we're still experiencing it even today. So the three of us were just featured as guests on Reclaiming the Garden. And even, even that title is so good. Yeah. So good. There's gardens all the way through. I think on that episode, I talked about, like, there must have been a reason that in the Gospel of John, Mary, who was visiting the tomb mistook Jesus for the gardener before she recognized him as her rabbi. And that must have been because he was doing something that looked like gardening, like whether he was like on his knees planting something or Hmm. sifting or pulling weeds or something like that. Like Jesus must have been doing something that made him look like a gardener. And that idea of like, at least in the gospel of John is like, Jesus hasn't spoken to anyone else yet. Like Jesus is resurrected. And the first thing he does is, I don't know, plant a tree, (laughs) harvest grapes, you know, like maybe he's just eating a grape and he's like, oh my gosh, like my body is alive again. What is this? Um, Experiencing it for the first time or again, somehow, I don't know. Like, I mean, gardens are an image all the way throughout the Bible beginning to end. So certainly the fruit metaphor holds something for us, I think, as, as people who are inclined to Christianity. It is interesting that, because I want to bring it back to the gifts, it's interesting that those aren't described the same way, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. like as if they're like bonuses or something like that. So I guess, can we start with the idea of like baptism by the Holy Spirit? And I think this is usually taught in Pentecostal circles of, it's like the, you know, tongues of fire, you're given 
more of a Pentecostal gift than it is a mm-hmm. just like salvation as a general concept or something like that. Emily, does does Methodism at all teach something like baptism of the Holy Spirit over and above like the water baptism that's used as a symbol of renewed life? Um, sort of. Not a whole lot. I mean, when we do, it's mainly it's mainly for like actually in ordination, like for those that are going to be ordained, we're going to be baptized you know, by the Holy Spirit in the sense of we're now, you know, pursuing our call and we're now pursuing, you know, our our role in filling the pulpit and we have been made new. Uh, but now we are going to be utilizing the gifts that we have received to to preach and to prophesy and to, you know, be shepherds, as you will. But we really like it more in the sense of baptism in the water and new life and renewal and community. That's a huge aspect as well. Yeah. It's a very communal element. Right. Josh, were you ever baptized in the Holy Spirit? Um, I don't think so, question mark. I do think I had some, uh, looking back, I think I had some interesting experiences. Sure. But like even just like hearing Emily like use the language that she used, like feels very, very different from like some of the context that I was in uh, regarding what God wants to give to you slash what your experience will be. I don't think I was ever explicitly taught that you needed to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. I think it was almost always in the circles I was in, I think it was almost always viewed explicitly as like a cherry on top kind of situation. Like a bonus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, like God has this for you. And like, in fact, wants it for you if you choose to accept it. Sure. Kind of thing. Um, but like, I don't think I was ever, ever taught that, you know, it's necessary for salvation. I think at least a couple times we were taught against that view. Oh, it was like evidence of salvation? Like you're, you have a prayer language now or something? Yeah, yeah. I was taught that in college because Dixie started going to a church that was a lot more charismatic than the way we grew up. Oh, yeah, and you guys broke up over this. I forgot. Yeah, we broke up because she was saying, you know, she was praying in tongues, and I was like, I don't think that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and we broke up for two whole months, um, during which time I, I legitimately did my best to try and like learn about what she was talking about. I read a few books. I went to like kind of this like revivalist like worship meeting in Billings at one point. And like truly, I think I was so earnestly desiring to like find common ground with Dixie again. And maybe people would say, like, my heart wasn't in the right place, so it never happened. But, like, I really wanted to know what it was like to speak in tongues. And I wanted to be able to come to Dixie and say, like, I've prayed about it. I've asked for it. And it happened. Can we get back together? You know? But <laughs> but truly, like, it just never, I don't know, it didn't work. It never happened. It was such yeah. a, like, a dejecting experience of, like... Mm. Cause there's a lot of language in these circles of like asking you shall receive, you know, like mm, mm-hmm. the father won't withhold things that he wants for you. And it's like, well, he wants me to speak in tongues, but, and I've been asking for a month and like, I'm earnestly <laughs> trying to seek out even places that it seems to happen. You know, like I'm going mm. to worship nights hosted by people who believe in this and who are doing it from the stage and like I'm trying 
but also I'm not supposed to be trying, you know, I don't know. It was all, mm-hmm. it was very confusing. You know, I, I just, I remember leaving that time in my life behind and being like, wow, I, that was weird. <laughs> uh, you, you triggered a core memory for me of this one guy preaching and then more, I think a lot more people started to say it this way after they heard him, um, that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And if you're not taking a risk for <sighs> Jesus, like Jesus isn't going to meet you and okay. like give you more gifts. So I think okay. what's really interesting around, um, and I'm not saying everybody's like this, but like this is what I've observed. I think that there's a prevalence in the charismatic world to be very focused on more and power and wow so uh oh man i'm just like my head has so many thoughts on this right now so i was talking to a friend yesterday and we were talking about like a bunch of like theology stuff and one of the things in the conversation uh, i don't remember if we were talking about c.s lewis or hegel at this point um but we were talking about one person's i want to say it was c.s lewis because you you wrote a book about joy so i think it's c.s lewis yeah surprised by joy yeah but he was diving into the distinction between enjoyment and pleasure and that hmm. like in some ways enjoyment is the journey and not the culmination and pleasure is the culmination, but it's the enjoyment that we actually enjoy. And I was, I was like reflecting on that and I was realizing that like a lot of charismatic circles are very enjoyable, but it's almost because mm. there's like no end in sight. Like there's always more to be had. There's always like another gift to Whoa. receive. There's always more. Mm. There's always like a bigger, there's always more favor, like a bigger manifestation mm. of whatever gift you have. And I think that's really interesting. Like I hadn't really thought about it in that like enjoyment framework before, but sure. I think that that feels really true for what I've interesting scene can i tell I, I've you i've also seen come oh yeah go ahead can i tell you how that strikes me right now yeah absolutely uh it feels it honestly in a way reminded me of the way like i know uh freemasons are kind of like a layered organization of like mm-hmm. you reach different levels of wizardry or whatever i don't know how the whatever that's a cult that i have always been fascinated with but only enough to know like those seem insane and i want to know more but i've never learned more but so that the layered aspect of it at least that's what is that it, that's what it's bringing up to me is like there's always something more to learn there's always like the next tier to achieve mm. or something like that mm-hmm. and then immediately following that the thought like comes to me of like why would god need to withhold that to like a different tier of christian you know like i i'm not convinced that we don't already have access to everything we'll ever need right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I actually, that goes really well with my other thought that I had is that I think that this is probably unintentional, but I think that a lot of hierarchy is created in charismatic circles regarding the gifts of the spirit. Wow. Like there's a lot of like grass is greener on the other side mentality of like, well, your gift is, wisdom but like prophecy is what well we should strive for kind of thing and that's why i us reformed people on the sidelines were are making fun of like oh cool administration is your gift <laughs> these people are prophesying yeah. or speaking in tongues or whatever like right that that's even the impression that it kind of gives from the outside not even yeah. from the inside
We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, The Whiskey Bench. If you are willing to give an inch on someone that you don't like and use that as a justification to use force against them or to exclude them in some way or anything like that, you are leaning into these authoritarian ways of of viewing the world. And so the only way to combat that is to truly love your enemy. Because if you're willing to use force against your enemy, you better be careful because you're going to become the enemy at some point and force will be used against you. So I don't know about you, but I'm tired of all the coffee that's out there and I want to try something new. You guys should try Revel Coffee, Montana local international award-winning roaster. Fun fact, we have partnered with this roaster to sell a specific blend of coffee throughout the whole Highline network. And it is pretty tasty, not gonna lie. Absolutely, you already drink coffee most likely if you're American. You might as well drink some of the best coffee in the world and support one of your favorite podcasts on the internet. So if you are interested in this, you can go ahead and order from highline.network forward slash shop and we'll send you a bag. Hope you enjoy. So here's a question. What are your gifts? Ooh. And a hush falls over the room. I don't know. What? You've <laughs> I, never, I, you've I, never I, like done those assessments to. Oh, like strength finders or whatever. Yeah. I think that's really interesting uh, as a question, because I do think that what Paul is getting at is sort of like a proto strengths <laughs> test. <laughs> yeah. Ba- like, basically. Oh, <laughs> I've heard people try to map the nine. Uh, fruits of the spirit in Galatians to the nine Enneagram types. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Well, it's just convenient that there's nine though. So that must mean yeah, something. Well, Numerology, man, in Christianity can sometimes go a little wild. Sometimes. God loves numbers. No, it's you that loves the numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you nerd. Your gift um, must be administration. <laughs> You know, I, I, I really like that question, Emily. Like, for instance, I really relate to gentleness on the fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. But like, that's just me personally. Like, I don't know if I actually amplify that huh. more than the others. 
We talked about hospitality the other week, and I feel like some people would include hospitality as a quote unquote gift of the spirit, even though it's like not usually talked about in that way, but it is yeah. in some verses. Mm, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm like, I don't think I'm convinced anymore that I have any single or like finite number of gifts mm-hmm. that are given to me by God. Well, so maybe not, maybe if you had to like rank of the gifts, like which one do you feel, you know, you, I don't want to say show the most, but like you feel like you right. find yourself rooted in. It's more, I think it's also interesting to try to guess what other people's gifts that they're rooted in. So like Josh, when you were saying for the, you know, the fruits of the spirit, like gentleness, I would totally agree with you. Like you totally give off that essence, like that virtue of what it means to be a gentle person. Um, and I think it's also because oh, you're you. a nine. So maybe yeah, nines yeah, right. are, <laughs> you know, gentle and peacemakers. It, it just makes sense. Um, so like if we were to think about what what Stephen's fruit, you know, gift of the spirit, you know, which one does he most amplify? Oh, no. Versus what he thinks he most amplifies. I don't know. It's administration. I, <laughs> I mean, kind of. Just actually. kidding. No. We're not, yeah. It's you, you are really good at it. Yeah. I keep us organized for sure. Yes, you do. I run Highline with my two podcasts. It is basically like the heartbeat of any institution is administration. So Sure. Like you are the heartbeat of Ravel right now. Wow. This is embarrassing. What? <laughs> well, okay. So actually, I think this is a good example of what I think that charismatic circles do really well is that, like, because of this emphasis on fruits of the spirit and gifts of the spirit, there's a lot of uh, interpersonal work that's done in terms of like trying to identify each other's gifts. Mm-hmm. And like, it is honestly, it's it's a very positive, uplifting environment. And I think that th- that is a huge contributing factor to why it's so enjoyable. Not just because people believe in like supernatural gifts, but because there is a lot of like, for lack of a deeper term, there's a lot of complimenting each other. There is. You are so good at this. Like you may not see it and you may not feel confident in it, but this is you, man. Mm. Like there's a ton of that. And like, honestly, it is intoxicating. (laughs) It feeds into one another. Even if it's true. Yeah, yeah. You almost get like high off of it, you know? And Mm Mm-hmm. Like we in churches, we find ourselves doing that all the time when we're, you know, each year, especially in the Methodist church, each year we, you know, we add new people to committees and we try to think who would be good in this committee and who would be good in that committee. And so we feel, you know, we put our little feelers out there for what gifts do these people have and where would those gifts be best suited for? And it's one of those things where you're like, hey, you know what? So-and-so is really good at counsel or so-and-so is really good with like the administrative side or money or whatever the case may be. And you put them in those places where they're going to feed that committee and they're going to feed the church in that way. And so it's life-giving. Again, my phrase, go figure. (laughs) But it is complimentary and you do almost get like a high off of knowing that this gift that you have, whether or not you think is well-suited or whether you think it's strong, if other people are seeing that and they're lifting you up in that, that is such a like good feeling. And Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I wish more places would actually do that. Mm. Mm. I'm really bad at taking compliments. You Uh, are. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. I think I've been learning that over the last few weeks, but so I think it's interesting to kind of tie it back to the church tradition. We came up in like, 
Reformed Calvinists, we love to talk about how we are. <laughs> yeah. We love to talk about how wretched we are and how sinful we are. And that almost feels like a, like, I think the generous way to talk about that is like, we're really good at doing something like confession, whether that be before God or before other people. Mm. But yeah, I'm, I'm realizing that I just, I don't know if I've had like the same experience of like all the, the compliments almost being a high. I mean, like I kind of, I kind of revealed my, uh, my cards a little bit when I said that was embarrassing because <laughs> honestly, sometimes like getting a compliment feels embarrassing to me. Cause I'm like, no, if you only knew all the dumb I do or like the bad stuff, yeah, you know, right. It's hard to not immediately just throw up a defense, I guess. Yeah. I hear that. What do you think about the language that some Christians use where like, it's not, specifically related to the gifts of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit even though i think that like a lot of christians believe that like whatever form those come in they are somehow given by god which i think is really interesting like i think that that's a really interesting acknowledgement like like the good in me like everything finds its source in god yeah um mm. i feel like i see a similar framework given when christians use the phrasing like i was given the grace to do something Oh. Have you ever heard that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And I'm not sure like like where it comes from, but I feel like I've noticed that more over the last couple years. Like God granted me the grace to like be kind in this situation or like something like that. And maybe it's just like people trying to like theologize about it and like give that kind of like divine credit. Like it yeah. wasn't me, like it wasn't by my own power kind of thing. But it's like almost talked about in a way that it's like a spiritual gift even if it's not referencing th like the lists, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think you're far off with just like theologizing about, it's like the idea of like, to God goes the glory. And I, to God I don't know glory. if, thank you. Thank you, Emily. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it <laughs> is rooted in like anything good I do is God and everything bad I do is like my sinful nature. Well, I, uh, yeah. I don't think that's, too much of a stretch at all, honestly. Yeah, that's what it can feel like for sure. But I think it's possible to to earnestly say something like that without immediately making it about yourself. That's one thing I've learned about like the whole hmm. that whole tradition of like not confession, but it's just that uh it's like I want to give God glory, so I'm gonna be almost narcissistically obsessed with how bad I am. Mm. Whereas I, I think the call of Jesus is like just Oh, how did it's, I, was it C.S. Lewis who said like humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I've heard that before. I didn't, I don't know if it's Lewis or not. Yeah. I like that sentiment though of like, I, I, I think he's onto something of like, it's not necessarily humble to just be constantly talking about how messed up you are. Yeah. Which is an interesting foil to <laughs> yeah. charismatic gifts like being, being very like positively focused. Like I have this gift and it's a good thing and I'm meant mm. to use it. And like, I'm like, it's very self-validating a lot of the time too. I think when like you believe that you have been given a certain gift that like either a lot of people don't have, or that like, even if they do have it, they don't have it in the way that you have it. Like you oh. like embody that gift uniquely, which like, I don't know. Like, on a psychological level, 
I can recognize is really good. Like I like to your point, Stephen. I think a lot of people are like not great at recognizing themselves. They're like they're taught to lean hardcore into humility and like whether it's thinking less of themselves or thinking of themselves less. Like they're they're taught that it's like selfish either way. Yeah. Right. And I think that that is a very unique strength of a tradition focusing on divine gifts in that way, I think. Mm. But I can also see like why it's so criticized by some people that it's like too self-focused or whatever, or yeah, like trying to make it all about you or, or that it's like not in the text or something like that. I don't know. Totally. Mm. So how do both of you guys like make sense of Paul talking about the gifts of the spirit? I think I'm at the point where it's like, I don't think I'm secessionist in the sense like this, none of this happens anymore, but I'm also pretty confident and feel comfortable with the fact that like, I don't think I'll experience speaking in tongues. And if I do like my language for it would probably be more in the sense of like mystical experience. Right. Which I think is, is probably what a lot of that can and does represent to Paul and to the people of his time and to the people since then is like, I don't know how to explain this. I started speaking Mm. French and I've never learned French or like I've heard plenty of stories like that. So I, I feel comfortable in the sense that I don't need to like disbelieve or disprove someone's experience of that. But I also feel comfortable in, in the idea that maybe I won't experience it myself. Mm. I'm reminded that the gifts of the spirit are talked about in the book of Isaiah and that basically they were the characteristics of who they thought the messianic figure was going to be. And Mm. I think for me, and in talking about being a Christian, you know, or being a disciple or a follower of Christ, these are things that we should all strive to be like, we shouldn't have a hierarchy of this is what I'm the most of and this is what I'm the least of. Like, I think, yes, we're all going to have qualities that we're stronger in and qualities that we're not so strong in. But I think it's looking at the fact that we should have all of them, regardless of how much or how little. And I think the same goes for the fruits of the spirit as well. We should all strive to live in ways of love and kindness and peace and patience. And we should all live in ways that profess or show wisdom or show or profess ways of counsel or piety and fear of the Lord. And I think there are things that we should just strive for and whether or not we will obtain all of them or, you know, perfect all of them is one thing. But I think it's just knowing that it is a commitment that we strive for every day is so important. I really like the way both of you phrased that. What about you? Um, I think, I think if I had to put words to both of them, to me it feels like Paul is trying to put a theological language to how Christians should view virtue and also like the the technology of interpersonal relationship. Hmm. And what's interesting to me about the gifts of the spirit is it's very communication focused. Like Emily, I really liked your point about a professor having words of wisdom, like totally a real thing. Like people are just going to like be wiser than others because of experience or knowledge mm-hmm. or 
And that like wisdom is different than knowledge. So like, of course, there's like words of knowledge. And that's like a very different framework than like what the charismatic movements try to say the words of wisdom and words of knowledge are Mm -hmm. in terms of being like a very instantaneous, clear, God-given, like you could not have known this otherwise kind of thing. Or like speaking in tongues, like have you ever just heard someone talk and it's like you're just like amazed by their communication? What if Paul's trying to put a theological framework around that? Like, I don't think that's far-fetched. Yeah. But like, so I think that I lean what would probably be called cessationist, even though I don't feel firm in that. Because like, there is a part of me too, like you, Stephen, that like almost wants to be open to possibility. Like, if God truly Mm. did create the universe and has like a relationship with the universe that is beyond our understanding... I should almost expect God to interact in ways that I do not understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I, I have a mystical experience in my past where like, I right. think I had a vision, right. Of the child that Dixie and I had suffered a miscarriage through like meeting that person. I've had a, an experience mm-hmm. of that. And that's what it felt like was happening was like, I was being introduced to the person that was my daughter. Right. Mm-hmm. And there, and there's no other way to describe that. And I even say that to you guys, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I I could describe that to other people, and they would be like, "You might have just been making things up in the midst of grief." And honestly, I'm open to that possibility too. Right. Yeah. And like, see, what matters less to me now is proving whether or not did Stephen right have this mystical experience, and like, was it a reality somehow? Yeah. Because like, it's so clear to me that like. Well, it's a reality in the sense that like you experienced something right. and it's become meaningful to you. And because you believe in God, like conceptually, you believe that like God has used this experience to help you heal. Yeah, and right. I don't know. It's, it's still kind of hard for me to uh, look at some of the uh, charismatic frameworks of gifts and treat them graciously <laughs> without just being like, where does it say that? <laughs> <laughs> but without like invalidating people's experience of like like finding a lot of meaning in the uh, the positive psychology of it all and the like what it's teaching them about themselves. I don't know. It's complicated. There does feel like there's a boundary though between like, you know, I had a very private individual experience that didn't require someone else to be along f- for the ride, I guess. Mm. And like belief in gifts of the spirit or I mean, even modern day miracles, right? Require an extra layer of like others participation and being able to validate the same experience. And I think that, that sometimes at least the, the examples that come to mind for me are like when a whole church believes that, right? Like a seven year old that just passed away will be literally raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't happen. And like, I can't imagine what kind of spiritual emergencies were caused by that not happening when a lot of their Mm. theological framework can be set up toward if it didn't happen, then maybe that God isn't real, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Because I think the signs and wonders thing is like some signs make you wonder or whatever is like the signs and wonders um, expression of faith can sometimes come down to if the signs and wonders don't happen, aren't happening, then maybe the source isn't there to begin with. And that's where I find there's like, mm. there's danger in these waters, you know, of like, 
we need to have an open enough hand with these gifts, with these miracles, with these fruits of this mysterious spirit of the Trinity enough to say like, sometimes something we're trying to believe in faith doesn't happen. And that doesn't mean that God is like being withholding, but also, well, that's, that's really interesting because like, I think I noticed this contradiction in that line of thought in their thought, not your thought um, of God wants these things to happen. And so therefore we will pray for them because like that is a necessary component of it. Even though God wants to do it, we need to have a hand in it. Yeah. And then when something doesn't happen, the fallback is not onto God. It's onto us for not Mm -hmm. praying Mm -hmm. well enough or having enough faith or believing enough. Like if we like that, that guy who would say that faith means risk would say that, well, you weren't risking enough then. Like you should have risked more in Mm. the way you believed about that. And I think that it actually leads people to like self doubt a lot more than it leads them to God doubt, at least in the moment. Which almost makes me wonder if the, the, the root of that feeling is almost the same as like the reformed who just wants to keep reminding themselves how bad they are. Ooh, yeah. That's an interesting Mm. connection. Zinger. Wow. Emily, Josh and I have had a lot of thoughts today. Where do, where do you think you're sitting with that or with this right now? You know, I I really don't know. I feel like I feel like this is a topic that people want to I don't want to say tear apart, but I think this is a topic that people are very quick to place on others and use this as a way to guide and to steer in a direction that is more quote unquote Christ like, but it can also become a vehicle of honestly power. And, you know, I see myself in a position where, yeah, I have an MDiv, cool. Like I'm at the pulpit, cool. But like there are others who are also preaching in a sense of what their spiritual gifts are or what their fruits are. And, you know, in my sermon, this Sunday, I was talking about quality and quantity versus just quality or just quantity. And I think this is one of those topics where you either want to talk about the quality or the quantity and not both. Um, <laughs> and it's, oh. it's difficult. Like we, we either want to talk about having all of the fruits of the spirit or we want to talk about making sure that the quality of the fruit is good rather than talking about both together. And I think that's why earlier when we were talking about community versus individual, I was like, no, it's both. Like, (laughs) Mm. both need to exist. Like, individual understanding as well as communal understanding. And we can't just rely on one or the other. Like, Mm. if we just focus on the quality of the fruit or the quality of the gift and not the quantity we're in trouble. Or if we're focusing on just the quantity and ensuring that the the number is good, then again, we're we're hurting ourselves. We're missing the point. Like they need to both be qualitative and quantitative. Mm. And that is going to take time and it takes commitment. And that's the other thing I'm thinking about too, is just, just because you may possess these things, you may have these things and you're very good at these things. Um, you need to be committed to those things every day. And in the ways that you live, you need to be committed to them as well. 
almost like you should make them a habit. Yeah, like hey. the, and that is what I love about what I do is showing people, yeah, this is an everyday thing. <laughs> like mm. not just on a Sunday morning when do we get to talk about these things and you know, whatever. Well, I did I did like the framing of like enjoyment in the journey and mm-hmm. oh, what was the other one in culmination of like these are all part of just what it means to be formed into like a Christ-like person, right? Of like discipleship is we're doing this daily. It's not, we arrive one day and now I am gentle and now I will work on the next one. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Emily, I did really like your point earlier. I'm like still thinking about it when you were like, it gets really difficult when different people in different communities define those characteristics differently. Mm -hmm. Like I can't stop thinking about, um, just like love, like if a community views love in a very different way than someone there, like if the if the community or the leadership is in agreement that it's no, it's loving to kick you out or it's loving to tell you that you're sinning mm-hmm. like the like having different theologies of love gets really tricky when it gets down to like the practicality of things, yeah, what do you do i hmm, I also really liked your point about like consistency how does it happen over time Mm. because i i do think it's really easy to point to mistakes and like zoom in on those because like obviously we're all human and like we're gonna it up at some point like we're not we're not gonna be perfect but like i think we have a tendency to like zoom in on an instance instead of looking for like the long-term patterns of destruction or like Mm -hmm. this person says that they're loving but like over time are they loving like what is what what do the people who are who they say that they are loving say i think that's what's interesting about the fruit of the spirit is it's very relationally focused like you almost can't act those out without another person almost in the same way that the gifts of the spirit seem relationally focused i think that's interesting i think that's kind of the point yeah, it's almost like it's part of the point. I, w- I think I would argue, I'm kind of just putting this into words for the first time, but I think I would argue that if the recipient and the giver disagree about the nature of the instance or the relationship, then that's a good sign that something's amiss. Ooh, Ooh. I like that. Ooh, I can get on board with that, yeah. I feel like we've talked about it before, but it also kind of gets back at... um like intention versus impact. Like even if you intended well, that doesn't mean it had a good impact. Mm-hmm. And just like that, with one comment in the discord, Danelle helps us create an entire episode. <laughs> oh yeah. What a that. fruitful episode. Thanks Danelle. Wow. Oh, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> doesn't feel like a coincidence that I'm going grocery shopping after today's recording. Either. I literally put in a grocery order right before I jumped on. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us, we're doing it with the fruits and stuff. We're doing it. I don't eat a lot of fruit. I'm just thinking oh. about it. I eat a lot more veggies. Oh, you should eat more fruit. Fruit's great. I eat a lot more veggies. I don't know. It's not vegetables of the spirit, okay? Fruits of the spirit. That's very funny. Tomato is that weird gray. Take that, Phil Vischer. Yeah. Fruit tails, not veggie tails. <laughs> Fruit. I do think fruit fruit stories would be a good name for a podcast about veggie tales. Fruit stories? Could we call it fruity tales? That's funny. 
That feels fun. Wait, fruit tails? Fruity tails. Fruity tails. Fruity tails is fine. Yeah. I feel like changing out the word for tails would be funnier. Okay. Now I really want fruit loops. Okay. Let's Wow, that is so far. That is so far away from actual fruit though. What? (laughs) Did you know Tropicana is putting out a cereal meant to be put in orange juice and not milk? What? Okay. I'm not making it up. Okay. I heard about it on Seriously, a podcast I listen to that is a meditative experience that where they talk about cereal. Oh, that sounds like a fun show. You, you okay. would like it a lot. It's hosted by one of the McElroy brothers of My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Mm, okay, and, I'm skeptical. And a serial journalist. That's funny. It's very good. You would enjoy it a lot. It's called The Empty Bowl. God, they should have just called it cereal. That's okay. I get it, but it's called The Empty Bowl. And then the co-host, his whole blog is called Seriously. Serialistly. Okay. I can't spell it anyway. Okay. I don't know why we're talking about this. Okay. Thank you for a great episode. The cereal, the grains of the <sighs> spirit. Okay, though. I mean, like Jesus walking through the wheat fields, right? I mm. do. We didn't really spend much time yeah. on this, but I don't think it's an accident that Paul is attributing fruit language. Like, yeah. like if we're going to talk about threads, like the concept of fruit and growth is like rampant. I in mean, the Bible. Eve screwed it all up by eating a fruit and giving it to Adam. So. Listen to me. Blame Eve okay. for it. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh my gosh. You guys were on. We just made episode 86. No, sorry. 87. Nope, 87. Wow. 87. Yeah. If uh, you want to help us out, we are uh, trying to reach uh, a bigger number of reviews by the time we get to episode 100. So thank you for listening. Uh, please give us some honest feedback, either on Apple Podcasts or I guess on Spotify, you can just give us stars. So we'll just like see the average. But. Uh, please leave us a review. That would be fantastic. Also, shout out to the people in Billings who meet at a coffee shop every week and talk about our episodes. That was incredibly <gasps> yeah. flattering to learn about. Yeah, we just learned about that. Mm-hmm. Shout out. Shout out to you guys. Absolutely. Emily, how would you peel this episode apart? You Peel this orange. Peel this fruit. That was terrible. I tried. Josh is so much better at these. Josh, Let's make like a banana and split. <laughs> The fruits of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, all this theological jargon can be messy and difficult to discuss, but luckily we are not alone. We can ravel these topics out together uh, and grab your shopping cart because we're going to fill them up with all the fruits, all of them as much as possible. Uh, And again, you can find them in aisle three if you're curious. There's a sale. Buy one, get one half off. That was the most pastory thing you've said in a long time. That was beautiful. That was really good. <laughs> Public service oh, announcements, you. avocado and tomato are fruit. So that's all I'm saying. And bananas a berry. Thank you. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench, where we pair cocktails with conversation. Whether we're diving deep into a meaty subject like the history of fascism or why monetary policy drives inflation, 
or just bringing you the highlights of a crazy news week. We aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our wild world. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, and join us on the Whiskey Bench. Highline Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.